I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> and I'm going to start with another song. How do you solve a problem like Maria? Lots of us know the sound of music. If you don't, I'm sure you'll watch it one Christmas when you've got nothing else to do. Well, most of us who know the film know that Maria actually didn't have any problems, really. She just needed a new direction in her life. Well, here's the question, though, we need to think about, which is how do you solve a problem like the Corinthian church? The church in the ancient city of Corinth, well, unlike Maria, really did have some problems, and they needed to be solved. And the man with the responsibility to solve the problems was the same man who had started the church in the city there, the Apostle Paul. This autumn, we're going to be starting a study of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the first of two letters to that city that we have in our Bibles. And uh, we're, oh, well, I hope, I don't know if you know 1 Corinthians well, perhaps you're new to it. Welcome to 1 Corinthians. It's an extraordinary and deeply insightful letter. Well, and again, if you're new to the Bible, you'll soon discover, as you go along, that there are lots of letters in the Bible. And Paul was the one who wrote a lot of these letters. He was one of Jesus' apostles, that is, the specially authorized witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And sometime around 48 to 49 AD, something like that, about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, less in fact, he arrived in Corinth and preached the good news of Jesus Christ. And very soon a church sprang up in that city. Now, Corinth, ancient Corinth, was basically a city on anabolic steroids. It was absolutely pumping. It was the third largest empire, uh, city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. It was a major port right at the crossroads of the world. It had everything going on that you would expect in a big port town. Corinthian culture, we're going to learn quite a lot about it over the next few weeks. I'll just say this for now. It was high on one drug more than any other. And it was the drug of status. They were obsessed with status. Now, Paul had preached a message among the Corinthians that turned those values of Corinth right on their head. Because he preached that the creator God isn't remotely interested in human status. That, in fact, the creator God had become a man, not an important man, but a peasant in a backwater of the Roman Empire. And that this man had been crucified in weakness to reconcile lost humanity to God. Well, that message captivated the hearts of the Corinthians. It, it, it's captivated my heart. I remember when I, when I first heard it, first grasped it as a 14-year-old boy. Suddenly grasped it. Yes, it captured, captured my heart. Has it captured your heart, this message of the God who made himself nothing and loves you so much? to do that for you, utterly captivating. And the Corinthians were one for Jesus. But the issue is that they were still Corinthians. They lived in the same culture that they'd grown up with. Now, what is your cultural background? 
There were lots of people here from different cultures. Even those of us born within the United Kingdom were born at different times, in different spheres, where different uh, sort of visions of what it was to be a great person were, were, were cherished. We all grew up in slightly different cultures, let alone different cultures internationally. What is your cultural background? What are the values that you've just breathed in? Because it's absolutely certain that Jesus will challenge those values. At some significant point, Jesus will challenge your values and mine. And the thing is, if we're not aware of our cultural values and where we come from, then actually we will keep on frustrating the work of God in our lives. So we need to, and we see that so clearly with the Corinthians. Their, their lack of awareness of their culture was and its influence on them was actually frustrating the work of God in their lives. Now, we've all of us, I think, probably dug a hole at some point. I mean, literally with a spade in the earth. I expect all of us at some point have dug a hole. And you, we all know what it's like when you dig a hole and you get the earth out and then it falls, there's always some earth that falls back in. And trying to finish off the hole and make sure that no earth falls back in is a constant battle. Get it, get it out, get it out, get it falling back in. Get it out, get it out. And the Corinthian culture was like that earth that just falls back in the hole. It just kept coming back. Jesus digs this great hole um, in, our, in, our, in our community. It's called the church, his hole. But our cultural values keep on rolling back into it. And that was the problem at Corinth. Now, in particular, this preoccupation in Corinth with status, it just kept on reasserting itself. Um, and it was poisoning church life. Another illustration, it was like acid reflux. It just kept coming back up again where it didn't belong. And it was poisoning the life of the church. Well, Paul the guy who planted, the man who planted the church in Corinth, he gets a report from Corinth. Partly it comes from the members of a household of a woman named Chloe. We see that in um, chapter 1, verse 11. He refers to it in the reading Mary read to us. And he also received a letter from Corinth. And there were clearly a lot of problems. But the basic issue, if you boil it down, really, the basic issue was that the, the, cult, that the church in Corinth was actually being shaped more by Corinthian culture than it was by the cross of Christ. Hence the question, how do you solve a problem like the Corinthian church? Well, it, it takes quite a long letter, and then a whole other letter, and there was a visit as well that Paul had to make. It was, a, it was an absolute, um, it, it, was, it was a huge task to straighten out this wonky church. But let's begin in 1 Corinthians where Paul begins... I'm going to divide these opening 17 verses into two. And uh, we'll see as we go, first of all, that Paul reminds uh, the Corinthians with a, a reminder of their true calling and their identity in Christ. And then he begins to challenge them um, to let Christ shape the church and not their own culture. So first of all then, this reminder, who are they in God's estimation? What's their true identity? The answer is... They are called to be holy. That's the answer. They're called to be holy. So just look how the letter begins. By the way, if you're not familiar with um, the letters of the Bible or the letters of this time of history, you'll, you'll notice straight away that letters in those days begin with the sender who announces themselves 
and then they identify the receiver. So we read there, verses 1 to 3, Paul, the sender, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, um, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be holy, together with those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctified, it means, means set apart as holy. Called to be holy, it's the same thing really. These believers in Jesus are set apart. God has called them to a distinct way of life within their proud city. And he picks up the same idea again in verse 9. If you look at that, at the sort of the end of the, 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 the opening comments, really, verse 9, he says, God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ is faithful, set apart, called to be holy. You know, it's such a privilege to be set apart. And uh, particularly when you think, we don't know exactly how many believers there were in the Corinthian church. Re scholars have reconstructed it. They reckon there might have been up to about 200 not many, and the city had perhaps 200, 300,000 people in, plus a lot of slaves. It was very, very, it was a, they were a tiny minority. But, says Paul, the creator God has called you to share in the life of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's incredibly exciting because he's poured good things into their lives. Look at the text, if you've got it there. Just see from verse 4. Verse 4, he says, he says to them, and Verse 5, so he says, look, God has enriched you in every way. Meaning, not meaning with financial riches, but he's enriched you, he says, in all your speaking and your knowledge. And um, we'll discover soon that there were problems in the Corinthian church with precisely these issues, with speech and with claims about having great knowledge. But nonetheless, God has given them these amazing gifts of speech and knowledge. And Paul celebrates that. He says, look, you have been hugely blessed. You're wonderfully gifted. And what else has he given them? Verse 7, he's given them an inspiring hope for the future. Look at verse 7. You do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So there are certainly problems in the church, including a misunderstanding about the future that lay ahead of them. But nothing can take that future away. God has given them this extraordinary and wonderful hope. And then as they await this fulfillment of this hope, look at verse 8. He's given them this strong reassurance. He says, I, God will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ when, when Jesus comes. So they've got a reassurance that all believers can enjoy. Wonderful what God has done for them. He will, um, they, they're, they're enriched with every spiritual gift. They have a certain hope for the future and the assurance of God's protection and strength while they wait. What privilege. But then again, all churches have that privilege, actually. We have that privilege, these privileges. We are enriched with various gifts from God, given an undying hope, given this strong reassurance. And like the Corinthian church, we too are called to be holy, to be, uh, and, and being holy, being called to be holy for God is not just, it's not just a privilege, which it is, it's a huge challenge as well, because being set apart for Jesus means being set apart from the culture that surrounds us. Now, it seems from 
Paul's letter to the Corinthians and from lots of other sources that we have, that Corinthian culture was obsessed with status, with celebrity, um, and particularly with celebrity speakers, like really, you know, high-powered sort of people who would give TED talks that would be, you know, massively watched by millions of people. Those were the people they loved and admired. That was the status they sought. It was a society as well that placed high value on having connection with the right names, with the right status. And we're about to see how despite all this privilege that the church enjoyed, that kind of mindset had got right into the church. So they were called, set apart to be holy, but whoops, listen to the report from Chloe's people. Look, what was going on there? So we've had the first part, we're moving into the second part. The first part was this reassurance about who you are, reminding them now, and they're called to be holy. Now the challenge that they have to face, which is all to do with their compromise with their surrounding culture. So look what Chloe's friends have said. So Chloe, my, verse 11, my, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. That's the, that's the, the Aramaic name for Peter, who was one of Jesus' lead well, the lead disciple, really. Still another says, oh, I follow Christ. Okay. So, basically, what you needed to do in that culture, if you wanted to be high status, was you needed to, you needed to pin your name to the name of some great person. Some, the highest tower, the highest pillar, you needed to get your name associated with them. A bit like what we have with branding today. It's, but it's a much more intense version of it. So you enhance your own personal um, you know, expression by associating yourself with certain brands. They did that with certain people, and particularly certain speakers. So, yeah, and so I'm sure you can see here how Corinthian culture is just washing back into the church. Because the Corinthian believers were using the Christian preachers as though they were these status symbols that bigged up their own egos and their own status. So you can imagine all the boasts that were going around, you know, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, and so on. So you can imagine it, be like, be like well, I'm, I'm, I'm a connoisseur for the preaching and ministry of Paul, because actually, as a matter of fact, Paul baptised me, one of them says, and another one goes, oh, that's pathetic. He says, so what, I was taught by Apollos. Now, Apollos was a genuine um, speaker. He was a very, very skilled orator. He was a totally faithful servant of Jesus, but he was a very skilled orator in all the kind of the Greek arts of rhetoric and oratory and things like that. So you can imagine someone else going, well, uh, uh, <laughs> Paul does nothing. I am an Apollos person. Apollos is a marvelous speaker. Don't you know the highest caliber there is? Caliber there is. I'm an Apollos person. And then someone else comes along and goes, ah, you, you, you're, you're all such, um, you're, you're, you're just nothing. I have made a careful study and I identify myself with, with, the, with Cephas, with Peter. I mean, he was one of the originals. He, wanted, he was one of Jesus' originals. You, Apollos and Paul people are nothing. And then you can imagine some super spiritual goon coming along and going, 
Well, I mean, all of you, just listen to you all. You're all, you're all pathetic. You've all, you've all hitched your cart to lame horses. You've all pinned your sails to low masts. I follow Christ, not them. Look how holy I am. That makes me superior to the lot of you. It was pure Corinthian backwash in the church. It was acid reflux coming right back where it didn't belong. Status culture is flowing back into the Christian community. And it's totally absurd. Paul asks these questions in verse 13 that just show that. Verse 13, look, is Christ divided? In other words, is Christ the possession of just one group of people in the church? No, there's one Christ, and we all have fellowship with him, if we're believers, true believers in him. Or um, then, uh, was Paul crucified for you? I think it was ridiculous. Paul couldn't bear the, stand in the place of sinful humanity and bear the judgment of God in their place, saving them. Ridiculous to boast about Paul. And then the baptism question is an interesting one. Um, you know, did, were you baptized into the name of Paul? Well, Paul did baptize a few people in, in Corinth, and I love the way, read it later, I love the way, he can't quite even remember exactly who he baptized. That's so I baptized these two people. Oh, hang on a minute. Oh, there was the other one as well. He can barely even remember who he baptized. So insignificant, actually, was it, compared to the fact that they were not baptized into the name of Paul. They are baptized into the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the living God. That's what mattered, not whoever conducted the baptism. Just irrelevant. And so Paul's like, this, all this status boasting before Christ, it's absolutely ridiculous. So there's a church in Corinth, and that's very, very good news. The bad news is that there is an awful lot of Corinth in the church. And that's what Paul is having to address. Corinth, with its status-obsessed celebrity culture, was dividing the people that Christ had united. So how is this regurgitated acid going to be neutralized? How is this soil that keeps falling back into the hole going to be expelled? How do you solve a problem of a church distorted by the values of its surrounding culture? Verse, I mean, the whole letter is really about that. But verse 17 kicks it off, and in many ways is the, is, is, uh, is, is, is the crux of it. Crucial verse 17, as Paul really gets to the heart of it. For, Paul says, I can't really remember who I baptized among you, not really, because Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, the good news, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. That is unbelievably profound. How do you solve a problem like the Corinthian church? Let it feel the power of Christ's cross. Let it see its culture in the light of the cross. You see, the culture around them esteemed those speakers who had the verbal skills. The, the, the technical word is rhetoric. They learned rhetoric in the Greek schools in order to persuade and move and sway crowds this way and that way. The speaker had the skill to sway the emotions and the mind of the audience. And the Corinthians were ranking the apostles as though that's the game the apostles were playing. Paul, Apollos, Peter. 
It's a spectacular misunderstanding of Christian preaching. It's a total misunderstanding. And Paul sees the issue so clearly, verse 17. You see, suppose for a minute that Paul did preach in the way the Corinthians thought was the right way. Paul says, if I did preach like that, if I got up like one of your Greek um, rhetoricians, your Greek speakers, if I got up and spoke like that, relying on my own power to sway the crowd and to play with the emotions of the people, so if I did that, I am basically throwing the cross of Jesus Christ in the bin. I'm emptying it of its power. I am nullifying, abolishing, invalidating the, the power of the message entirely. Because the power of the cross of Christ is God's power. No human power. It's God's power. The cross is God's work. It's achieved by God's Son. It's, it's, it's proclaimed, it's received through the strength and power and enlightening of God's Spirit. And it is all for the accomplishment of God's work. It's God's power. So when the cross is proclaimed, well... It's God who's at work to reconcile guilty, shame-bitten people to himself. It's his power. So as preachers of the cross, we are utterly powerless. Utterly. All the power is from God. We, we proclaim the message of the cross, but all the impact of it depends on God's power to transform lives, power that he has promised, promised to unleash through the sharing of the message. It's also totally un-Corinthian. They admire speakers who rely on their own verbal skill to change people. But in truth, all the power belongs to God. So if Paul or Apollos or Peter or anybody preach like they have the power then it would actually frustrate the work of God. So they just set out the message plainly, clearly, and they trust God to make the real change in people's lives. Now, the point is not that Paul was a dull speaker or that Apollos was, Apollos was a very skilled speaker, in fact, but he didn't rely on it. He used it. He, it served. He used it to serve Christ, not to serve himself. They just set out the message plainly. They refused to flatter their hearers. They refused to come to Corinth and allow the Corinthians to think for a moment that they could sit in the background like connoisseurs at a show going, well, he was a wonderful performer. They're like, no, that is all about your ego and God will cut that in half. He says, listen to the message of the cross. Let the power come from God. They set forth the cross plainly and relied entirely on God to unleash the power. So the Corinthians needed to feel the power of Christ's cross again. They needed to see their status-obsessed culture in the light of the fact that God, the Creator, didn't display His power in human strength, but in weakness. That God didn't display His wisdom in human skill, but in what appears human foolishness. Well, more of that next week, <laughs> I'm anticipating. 
the extraordinary passage that follows next week. It's enough, though, now simply to say that Christ's cross deconstructs the pride at the heart of Corinthian culture. And it establishes a new culture where human status is irrelevant and where personality politics is totally out of place. So how do you solve a problem like the Corinthian church? Well, first, Paul reminds them that they are called to be holy in fellowship with Jesus. That's a reassurance. But then he begins to challenge them and he summons them to a common mind through the power of the cross. Now, we have a different sort of pride in our culture, different sorts of pride, all manners of pride at the heart of our culture. So Corinthian pride is all about celebrating status. Our pride tends to be more about asserting and celebrating whoever I feel myself to be. And that, of course, can wash straight back into the church as it can in any culture. And the gospel gets reinterpreted as a proclamation of freedom for me to become whoever I believe myself to be. Now, that's not the gospel. And when that gospel becomes the thing, the church gets turned into a kind of all-affirming therapy group rather than the beacon of repentance and faith. So the Corinthians could not have both their proud values, the proud values of their culture, and the cross of Christ. It was either or. They could have either one or the other. Either their status-obsessed culture would empty the cross of its power, or the message of the cross will overturn those cultural values and create something very different. And it's the same with us. We can't have whatever our proud values might be and the cross. Either uh, we will, uh, either our culture of self-realization will empty the cross of its power, or the message of the cross will overturn those cultural values. It's one or the other. I wonder, as I close, whether you and I ask myself the same question, have ever asked God in, to show you where you are more shaped by the culture that you've been brought up in and that you live in than by the cross of Christ? It's a risky question to ask because he will show us if we want to know where am I more shaped by the culture around me than by the cross of Christ? Tom, where are you more shaped by the culture? I urge you to ask that question of yourself, and be prepared for the Spirit of God to begin or deepen a work of renewal in your mind and in your life, a renewal and a, and a, 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 a new vision based on what is the true power, the true wisdom of God displayed in the cross of Christ. More of that next week. A prayer. Reveal to us, O oh God, every one of us, those areas of cultural assumption that we bring into Christian life, into church life, and reform us through the message, through the power of the cross of Christ. We pray this 
in utter dependence on the Holy Spirit for any progress at all and in the name of Jesus.